Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. After a little bit of a hiatus, we were we were trooping right along from the beginning of season seven, and then we ran into scheduling issues in December. But we're back here in session number six of season seven um, as we are getting ready for the Near Nith Arnoidiad season here uh, in the Silmarillion Film Project. I am uh, I'm Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, joined, uh, as always, uh, by Marie Prosser and Nick Palazzo, our uh, head writers here at the Silm Film Project. Uh, Dave couldn't make it today, unfortunately. As, uh, as you guys can tell, Dave's kids are of that age where he has conflicts during <laughs> during lots of weeks. <laughs> it's a I remember that season. Um, so uh, anyway, but here we Were are. I on the Pacific in the Pacific time zone. I would have the exact same problem. For yes, sure. Nick, you have the advantage of. Uh, I, I mean, I know that you understand exactly why I tend to start my broadcasts at this hour. <laughs> uh, yes, and un- but unfortunately, translated onto the West Coast, it is uh, it is in the middle of hectic family time for Dave. But anyway, here we are. We're hoping he'll be able to be with us next week, but or next time. But um, where we are here is in our we're in the midst of our discussions of major plot points. So, of course, just to remind folks or to tell folks who are new, our overall shape of approaching these seasons is first we have our overarching. You know, we're kind of in um, in pre-production mode where we're working out. What are the what are the major topics we're going to hit? What are our themes? What uh, you know as we work out the the major features of the story that needs to be going on. Uh, work through any particular adaptation challenges that lie in front of us that we're going to want to think about before we get into the nitty gritty details of the plot and the story. Um, so we we will finish these uh, these discussions. We're going to have about a, a couple of those uh, left after today before we then can begin a concrete outline for how we want to shape the story over the course of our thirteen episode season. And then, of course, we're going to go through each of those episodes uh, one by one, uh, discussing the stories there and looking at uh, outline and draft materials that our writers' room uh, will have produced, and then. Um, uh, and then we have our post-production uh, sessions at the end where we look at some other other creative um, uh, contributions that have been made along the way by folks. So that's the overall um, uh, uh, shape of things here today. What we're talking about is the Union of Mithros. So we've decided that the, the central character, I feel like I'm summing up, but I, I feel the need to sum up because I feel like it's been, you know, like three months since we've done this. Um, we, the, the, the point of view character that we have decided on to really focus uh, the season seven on is Hurin. Um, so from his trip to Gondolin and his trip home by Eagle, um, well, to and fro by Eagle, really. Um, uh, at, at, the, at the opening of the season, uh, through his involvement in the Near Nith or Noidiad, um, up through his capture at the end, is you know he's really going to be uh, the 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 sort of central, not the exclusive point of view figure, but the central uh, focus of the story. So we spent a good deal of time thinking about Hurin and Huor and um, uh, some of the rest of that storyline. 
Today we're shifting to talking about the elves. Having talked a, a fair bit about the humans, we're going to talk about the elves and think more about the union of Mithros and what's going on. we, we got to think especially about Fingon and Mithros themselves, how exactly we're going to shape and to present this. Um, this, of course, is, is another wonderful example. We have come across so many examples of this over the years in our film film discussions where... Tolkien says something in a sentence or maybe a paragraph, right? And we need more than that, right? It's not really enough. Like it's, you know, told, we're told in, in you know, in the beginning of the Near Nith chapter in the Silmarillion that, you know, then Mithros took heart and then, you know, he encouraged people to join in the union and like a bunch of people did that's a lot of stuff. Like, what was that thought process like? What conversations did he have? Who's buying in and who's not? What, where do people stand on this? What kind of, uh, you know, um, what is the, what, what is the story there? So as usual, when we're taking that kind of a broad statement and the, the formation of the union of Mithros, the resolution to do it and the formation of the union itself and the plans, uh, that they make are discussed in a very big sort of overview way by Tolkien quite briefly. Um, and so if we're going to actually think about what this would look like on screen, we've got to go a good deal closer to the ground than that um, and figure out how the characters, especially as we've developed them, would um, uh, would would act and would talk uh, in the kinds of conversations that would be happening here. So that's going to be our topic of discussion today, uh, the elves in general and the Thanorians uh, and, uh, uh, and Fingolfinians in particular. Um, but um, uh, first, quick announcements. We are entering the spring moot season, which is really, really exciting. Um, uh, we're going to have all kinds of moots. These are the ones that are open for um, registration already. Um, our next one coming up is Osmoot in Australia. Uh, going to be going down to Australia at the end of this month. Um, and so we're going to be in Sydney. There's going to be a lot of film film action at Osmoot, as there always is. Um, Ilana uh, is, uh, is the, who is uh, the, the, the writer on a couple of our episodes last season. Um, and, uh, and, of course, Phil uh, Menzies, our uh, long-term composer uh, of the uh, of the the score. Um, it's funny because, you know, we may, there, there are a lot of things that we can't really do, uh, production wise <laughs> for some film, but a score, <laughs> a score is something we kind of can do. Uh, and, uh, and that's really fun. Anyway, so, um, uh, Philip will be there too. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so Philip and Ilana and I will be there together and we'll be doing some film film discussions and stuff. It's going to be great fun. Um, so that's Osmo at the end of January. And of course, all of our moots are fully hybrid. So people anywhere are able to join in. Um, though the, uh, uh, needless to say, the, if you want to join live, the times of the sessions in Osmoot are going to be a little bit odd in North America, for which the people of Australia do not apologize uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> As to finally they get something that's in their time zone. Um, but um, anyway, so 
we have uh, uh, there are actually so not only do we have all the uh, regional moots that are posted here sunshine moot in february uh tex moot in april socal moot in may as well as uk moot over in york england in april in late april as well um there are also even a couple others that aren't they're, they're not released yet but we're working on those including uh <clears throat> regional moot that's closest uh to my to my co-hosts here today, we're going to have Potomac Moot uh, down there in Virginia, um, uh, and that's that should be uh, in uh, in in late March, and then uh, Wild Rose Moot up in Edmonton, Alberta, um, which is going to be our second Canadian moot ever. Uh, really excited to get up to Alberta um, and uh, hang out for the some of the the um, the Tolkien Club at the University of Alberta, fun fact, is the first organization that ever invited me to do a guest lecture in my entire career. Like, I, I, I did a... Long, many years before the invention of Zoom, I, I did a... I did like a... I, I organized a hybrid uh, live presentation uh, at one of their sessions by their invitation. This was back in, like... 2009 maybe 2008 it was ancient ancient days um but uh but that was really um uh that was really fun anyway it'll it'll be fun it'll be fun getting up there too so lots of things going on and of course the signum collaboratory encourage folks to check that out really really exciting new project that i don't have enough time to talk about right now um but really fun stuff at collaboratory.signumuniversity.org um i'll come back and i'll talk more about that at a future episode Let's see where we are on the map is always where we are. Um, Now, one of the issues that is going to be fun to deal with, because this is one of those things that Tolkien speaks of relatively little, right? And that is how exactly are people communicating? And how are we going to handle that, right? Looking at the map, this is the first thing that occurs to me, right, is uh, when we're looking at the map and we're thinking of Maedhros over here in Himring, right, and the Feanorians having more or less solidified themselves in the March of Maedhros again over here, and Fingolfin still holding firm in Ithalcyrian and over here in Mithrim. Fingen. F- Fingen. That's what I... Did I say Fingolfin? Sorry. Uh, Fingen over here. My apologies. Um, in memory of Fingolfin, uh, over here in Mithrim and Ithalcyrian. Um, but there's now a whole wide swath of hostile territory in between them. Right. So there's three methods of communication that I yeah. can see. One is they have to go, they have to make use of Doriath. Mm-hmm. They have to get Doriath to act as the go-between, which means that Fingal knows every single message that passes through because there's no way he agrees to have secret messages that he's not aware of pass <laughs> right. through his territory, right. especially going from the Feanorians to Fingal. Right. Uh, they could do Pony Express south and around Doriath, which seems pretty likely, to be honest, uh, as as the, the method that would be used. So we're talking days between messages at the minimum yeah um yeah the 
other option is, and we haven't gone very heavily into this, but telepathy, mm. which, by all accounts, there's no range limit on. Talking of no indication of range limits. Right. Kind of um, now, there do seem to be particular people who use it and p- particular people who don't use it. Yes. Um, and it's obviously a dangerous line to cross from a narrative standpoint. Yes. Yes. We've been very, very... Yes, as for instance, as M.P. Walter's asking, by the way, welcome, M.P. Walter, to your, uh, to, to, to a live discussion. I saw you mentioning that earlier on. Um, uh, we decided early on that there are no Palantiri in Beleriand in the right. first stage. Yes. Um, I mean, like, we, we considered it because we were like, Fanor would bring some, wouldn't he? I mean, he invented them, right? Wouldn't he? Yeah. he wouldn't leave them all. Unless he didn't have them. Unless he didn't figured have figured out a way them. to make sure he, he didn't. <laughs> exactly. So, because, again, the more we thought about it, the more like... I mean, it's it's almost story breaking, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's hard to maintain the storylines of the Silmarillion if everybody's got a Palantir. Right. I mean, where where did uh, where did Dara go? Like, what what happened to her? Oh, just, she's right over there. Just look her up. Yeah, exactly. We'll just go there and invade that guy's woods and everything. Will yeah, be fine. yeah, yeah. Right. So we have to be careful that if we make a choice, that it's something we can sustain through the next few seasons of the first stage, because this problem is only going to get worse. Yes. Because um, pre-Dyer Bragalak, people could travel pretty freely. I mean, obviously, bad things happen, like to Aradel. Right, <laughs> so it's right, not sure. Like it, was not, it, was, sure. it was not a zero danger, but <laughs> yes. it was fairly easy to move about. You could pass over our gallon, so it wasn't... Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. So now with the fall of Darthonian and our gallon becoming... Fabulous, that's a much more significant barrier than it yes. was. And after the near knife in the time of turn, it's going to be even harder to travel. Yes. So, this is a deteriorating situation, and we need to make sure that whatever we say, oh, they can do this, we see we can still make it deteriorate and make it harder later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. ships is another thing that are very helpful and that Morgoth has no control over, but don't go anywhere near the places we need them to be. Right. So the question is, what is Kierden doing? Yes. And is he somehow facilitating and collaborating in some way? Yeah. Um, There's there's rivers to the sea. Like, uh, is anyone using those at this time? And, yeah. Well, okay. So you bring up a good point, and that's that... Mithras does not necessarily have to get messengers to Mithrim. He just has to get messengers south of the um, the mouths of Syrian, right? Uh, the the cliff face that the the waterfalls come pouring out of. All he has to do is get a, get somebody south of there, and it seems to me that the river Syrian is navigable from that point. From the gates forward. of Syrian south, right? The gates of Syrian, yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, to the mouth, actual mouth of Syria. Yeah. Um, and that would get messages up to Mithrim significantly faster. Um, maybe not necessarily to Nargothrond, uh, but to to Mithrim for sure. But um, once you're down, I mean, getting to Nargothrond is at this point, again, Maria, as you say, it'll get harder later, but right now, Get, if you're gonna, if you're swinging around south and going south under Doriath, getting to Nargothrond is not a problem. Yeah. 
right now, right? The challenge there is that you're not allowed in and that you might get shot. Well, <laughs> right, yeah. So that's... <laughs> it's less than a barrier, yeah. Right, it's but getting to the region is not, is, not, yeah. is, is, is not a travel issue so much. Right, right. right. Now, but, the, but the other thing that I think most of the time... Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to encounter occasions where we're going to wish that it were possible for people to communicate more, but post-Union of... The Union of Mithros is really going to be the last time that yes. we're coordinating and we concerted action across yeah. yeah, across the continent. Yeah. Right, so our storylines will be moving into refugees being displaced mm-hmm. and reestablishing themselves more so, Right, and the Malthusarian will play a role in that story too, but a very different role. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that this is the last serious logistic challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of trying to unite Valeriant. The thing that's one step down from telepathy and still somewhat suggested by Tolkien is what about like talking birds? Mm-hmm. Can you send a message via bird um, so, in Middle Earth? Yeah, you've got. Um, Obviously, the eagles as candidates number one of this, but they're not really accessible. Turgon can get to them, but uh, you know nobody else. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah, nobody yeah, else really not has sending access. Messages yeah. By eagle. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be maximally convenient. Um, and I mentioned. I mean, the reason I say we start with the eagles is that those are the talking birds in the Silmarillion, right? So like, <laughs> we, have to, we have to start there, right? They're indeed in the story. Yes. yes, yes, they are indeed in the story. But apart from the fact that Turgon can make logistical use of them in some ways, um, and that, of course, has got to be a factor. Um, I mean, it's one of the things that we're going to talk about, to, which, well, look, here we are talking about it. Um, the question of how does the Gondolindrum dramatically emerge from Gondolin and join the the, the battle at the Nirnaith Arnoidiad. How does Turgon know what's happening and how to time it? Um, right. The eagles are the oh, well, okay, no, it's plausible. I mean, look, he's uh, he he receives more mail from Olmo than anybody else in Middle Earth, so theoretically, I guess that's on the table. But uh, it seems obvious that the eagle communication would be the way since he's in touch with the eagles that they would tell him. Um, and I don't think there needs anything. C-mails. He gets C-mails. C-mails. Yeah, there you go. Um, I don't think there's anything re- required more than simply the eagles being vigilant and seeing what's happening. I was going right. to say that the troop movements that lead up to the Nair Knight are yeah. hardly going to be a secret from the eagles yeah. around yeah. Gondolin. So, ironically, Turgon is the person I'm least worried about being informed about. <laughs> right, right, happening. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, even if he's not involved in any of the planning or the communications that lead up to this, once the troops start moving, the eagles know, yeah. and therefore Turgon knows. Yeah. And he then gets to make a decision what to do about it. So, we might decide that someone tries to get in touch with him or send him a message um, as part of the planning, but even if they don't, he could still figure it out. Independently, there could be a very yeah. passive source yeah. of information for Turgon. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that um, that's that, that that that's pretty simple. Um, yeah, especially the real since is, are Fingon and Mithros physically getting together with each other in the same location? Yeah, and, and that's got to happen at least I, once, right? I'm going to say, for dramatic reasons, it has to happen at least has once. To. We oh, need it. to see the two of them react to each other 
to plan this thing, yes. to agree to make it happen. Yeah, I would so, say you need to have it for to have the correct story beats. You need to have it happen at least twice. Maybe so. Right. We, I mean, that would at the beginning and and what, so like, a, hey, do you want to get yeah. together? And hey, here's the plan. Right. You know, right. meet now you at the middle of the yeah. battlefield, kind of. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, not necessarily in the middle of the battlefield because it's yeah, a confident white. They have to meet. They behind. don't. Manage, they plan to meet at. They, the but that, that's what I'm saying. That, that's that, the message would be meet you in the middle of the battlefield, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't pan out, obviously. Um, yeah. 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 So. Next year on Hard to Go, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So okay. I, I want the two of them in the same room. Yeah, uh, for sure. At least for once, sure. possibly twice. So we are going to have to have people traveling um, via some method. I don't know that there's any reason for Fingen to go to Himring. So I think this is more of a Mydros needs to go see him. I absolutely at, think so. Yeah, no, that's yeah. what I was thinking too. Because he's, he's the one who's, hard... he's, he's, he's the salesman here. I mean, he's right. proposing I think, this. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention, we need to have an opportunity for Ordreff to storm out of a room, and he's <laughs> he's not going to go to Himring in the first place. Yeah, in, in order to storm out of the room, yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas exactly. Ordreff could be visiting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, the yeah. the whole Syrian has been retaken. That's an ideal point at which to meet. They can they can they can go up to the top of the of the tower. And they can view the, everything. The they tower can, that fell down. Well, the top the of the hill. The tower anyway. that was rebuilt. <laughs> the tower that fell down. That's a good point. <laughs> but the hill. I mean, the hill. Yeah, I mean, the hill is still should, there. We should definitely show the ruins yeah. of Tulsarian at some yeah. point. Yeah. In the, there's some storytelling that needs to be visible. That's a, but it, it is a good location. Even as a ruin, it's a good location yeah. for that meeting because and, it shows the stakes. And if our frame story is the White Council meeting in the ruins of Eregion, mm-hmm. having oh a goodness. first age story where the secret meeting to plan the Near Knife is, is happening We're at the We're going to make it look like we planned it that way all along. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty convinced now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my initial impulse was to say they should actually go to Eiffel Syrian. First of all, on the principle that if you're gonna if they're going all the way across to Tulsa, it's not that much further, right? I would say that's a good location for the first meeting. For the first meeting. Yeah. Because like something about like coming before the High King in his seat yes. of power, that dynamic seems to me like a thing that I would want to see, right? But yes, like but I do like if we do have two meetings, having them in those two different locations would be would be kinda cool. Yeah. I have wanted the meeting where Fingen and Mydros plan the near knife to be in um, Paradise just before film film existed. So <laughs> I have I have a stake in that. You are invested <laughs> in this idea. I, no, I'm it's great. Super in agreement. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I really like the concept of and, re-navigating the, mm-hmm. the relationship between those two characters yes. at this point. It's, it's also just, the last location where Fingolfin was seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot that we can do with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, it, yeah. As GD Tyrion says, I like the idea of them looking out at Thangora Dream as they're planning this. For sure, for the initial, for the initial. Okay, we this has that to have Thangora Dream looming out in the background is, yeah, 
that's definitely a thing that we want. Um, we've done a lot of work on establishing what Baradethel is like. So mm-hmm. the geography is very familiar to people after yeah. um, seasons four and five. Um, yeah. 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 So, and uh, just a quick check. You don't think we're going to have much problem with travel time? Like, we're not in a big hurry in this season, are we? People can just, like, appear at the places that they need to be day I, within I know a that's day a and thing, a half. Right? Like, no several horses, hours no, no baggage. We would be we would be following I mean, the long and august tradition horses, if we did that. But, um, but no, horses? I mean, we're, we're not on a tight schedule in this season, are we? Right. No. Especially not at the beginning. Right. Yeah. For the early parts of this, with the planning, um, it can be a long, arduous journey that they just show up from the Boromir's journey of 100 days to get to right. the Council of Elrond. We can do that, because what's 100 days? Yeah. Because yeah. I would think that Mythros would certainly go the long road south of Doriath. Yes. He wants no, nothing to do with it. Yeah, he has no interest in, yeah. in opening that can of worms and just the second. He's got to get Fing- he's got to make sure Fingen's still on his side first. Yes. And why go least. through Nandungorthab if you don't absolutely have to? I mean, you got to be on a Finally, tight schedule. Finally, a character indeed. making a sensible decision on that question. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. As everyone else is like, oh, let's just walk. <laughs> hey, look, <laughs> a shortcut. Yeah. A casual yeah. la-di-da approach <laughs> Ex- to, the, exactly. to the new spider town. The, the trees are quite lovely. Anyway, yes. Um, the So, yeah. So he would go around. And, of course, I would think... Wait, do we have um, do we have Mytheros calling, like his brothers together at Himring, or do we does he go visit them on his way? Like, do we have Mytheros doing? Because he could do like a, a sort of. There's a, not. There's much not much of a tour to visit in East Valerian anymore. Like is, Himring's uh, kind of it. Is is he, re- he retook the yeah. marches, but the lands were overrun during the last battle. Yeah, but they yeah. they they definitely did like they definitely had to have driven the orcs out of the plains south of them. They is, did. Is yeah. Amra still living in his yurt? I think his yurt days are over. Is his I'm yurt days are yeah, over. Yeah, he's got to be he's he's probably hanging out with okay. this or that brother. Okay. Right. Um, and obviously Caranther doesn't have his tower anymore. Right. Right. And Where's the, the dragon? Is the dra- the dragon's not still over there? Is no, it? the ta- the tower is yes. Yeah, the Dorthonia. tower is under joint management between Caranthir and the dwarves now. <laughs> that was mostly the dwarves, though. I was going to say, sure, yeah, sure. But that was a that was a treaty that was negotiated. Uh huh. Yeah. In the yep. end of season six, right? Yeah, but right. the point is, Caranthir's no longer in charge, and right. that's yeah. not his place anymore. Right. Um, the dragon is in Dorthonian, so no one's going through Dorthonian, by the way. Yeah. Mm. It's not, uh, not It's not as bad as Nandangortha, but that's You could not probably much. sneak through there with, like, one or two people could probably sneak through there with reasonable expectation of surviving. Mm-hmm. However, it's kind of like driving around on the highway without your seatbelt on. <laughs> right. Or, yes. Well, yeah. It's not quite Tarnathuin yet, yeah. but it's headed in that direction. And... Yes. I mean, yeah. It, it's we not a place anyone wants to be. We didn't have... Um, 
Sauron filling it with madness, did we? No. Before no. he heads out? It's Glorum. It's Gl- oh, yeah, so we, 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 we needed the infestation of madness, but we had other work for Sauron, right. so instead of having... The, the infestation of madness is now coming from Glaurung's brood. Right, yeah. There's baby dragons, baby dragons. in um, Riddle's Well. Yeah, yeah. Gross. Gross. Gross baby dragons. Gross baby dragons. Not as opposed to cute baby dragons. Right. Which is always a possibility. Not cute baby dragons. See, see, the the text actually leads us to believe that dragons are born scaleless. Right? So, like, I imagine this pit of, like, slimy, writhing little dragon Worms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Worms, worms. in fact, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They develop scales as they get older. Right, and those scales toughen and thicken as they as they get older. Yes, yes. Working the uh, Smaug's boasted progression backwards. Yes, that would follow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they spend all of their time, if they spend significant amounts of time during that mature, maturation process, laying on metals and gems, then those get encrusted into their uh, yeah. undersides instead of growing scales. And there would be a certain quantity of those available to them. Um, as there were a couple of the Noldor who lived there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. 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 Um, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not Nargothron, but still. Exactly. Yeah. This is not. Or you get Erebor. Right. There's not a, it's not a horde. Right. But if you're a dragon, you will find. <laughs> it's a nesting. <laughs> it's exactly. It's just yeah. a little, just a little, just a little starter. It's a, a starter kit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, start a horde. Yeah, start somewhere. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little, a little horde booster pack. Um, okay, so yeah, oh, great. So if, as long so so then all of the Thanorians then are pretty much living in the Greater Himring area. So, I think so. Okay, so we would begin with my so Mithros would begin with mm-hmm. a. Um, with a, hang on, I'm being very unsystematic. Uh, looking at the map here, where I'm still on the map, by the way. So looking I know, at, I know. <laughs> looking at the map, I was immediately thinking of the problem of travel and communication because you know Tower Nufuin, uh, well, Proto Tower Nufuin um, is is now looming very large, along with Enfalglith, uh, dividing them in between. Um, but if we have journey number one being unhurried. Um, and Mithros able to take his time and go all the way up to Eithel Syrian, um, then Fingen could call the second meeting, which would bring... Because obviously, like, Ordreth isn't going to care that Mithros wants to talk to him, right? right? But if Fingen called a meeting at Tol Syrian and asked Ordreth and... You know, Thingol to send delegates, and you know he's he's asking for everybody to kind mm-hmm. you know to have a whole council there at Tulsirian. Um Then many would, in fact, come um, at Fingon's behest, and and Mithros would would be there. So that I think would work to get everybody together. And I and I for that reason I think uh, Nick, I think for that reason alone, it's a good reason to have the two meetings because we can yes. have those uh, two quite separate meetings, right? The one which is where we can really focus on Fingon and Mithros, the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then the second one where we're looking at the, the broader council and the um, yeah, everything from who's willing to work together and to what extent down to, you know, tactics and plans for the battle. So, 
um, those definitely do seem um, that we 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 want to um, definitely separate those two. So, um, does Mythros doesn't even necessarily have to go home in between, does he? If he's welcome at yeah. Thinking's place, he we'll could to, hang out for. Or even nearby. I mean, that's especially if if Fingen's reaction. After, you know, however, we handle that, and we'll get to that in a minute. If Fingen's reaction basically is going to be, okay, fine, let's call a council and make this happen, right? Mm. He's not going to be like, let's call a council in three years or whatever. Like he's gonna, he's gonna, I shall send messengers, and we will meet there. You know, in a reasonably short to an elf period of time, right, at Tulsirian. So, maybe three years. <laughs> <laughs> maybe three years. Yeah. Having uh, him, um, having Mythros meet up with the different, um, the different cadres of humans might mm-hmm. be worthwhile. Because the reality is that they're, that as far as the elves go, it's Mythros and his guys and Fingen and his guys. And that's yeah. basically it. Like, yeah. most of the you know, Oradreth is not sending a lot of people. Doriath is not sending a lot of people. Yeah. And everybody else is gone. Right. So it's Except really Targan in men that they must knows. place yeah. their hope. Yeah. Yes. So, Mythros, who doesn't have much access to men over there, would probably be interested in touring around Dorloman and meeting folks. We could have a, a really nice Hurin. Mythros could visit Hurin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Galdor, right? Depending on when. When are we killing Galdor? It's optional. Um, we probably need to do it uh, in a way that fits her end story. We I, wanted so him to be alive when Warren want... comes back, mm-hmm. right? From so that's yeah. I, my requirement is we don't kill him before they have <laughs> right. their reunion. But right. after that, Galdor is Galdor is expendable. Yeah, yeah. and one we of want our her most... to be in charge of his people pretty fast. Yeah. So he's probably not going to last long. Yeah. But if we if we have something we want him to do, we could keep him until until that. Yeah. That episode and be like, and then he dies. Right. Either right. either a hunting accident or a skirmish kills both Galdor and Emildir. Oof. Because we need Emildir to die too. Right. We got to get rid of Emildir. Yes. Because we want Morwen to be yeah, taking right. a leadership role. Yeah, yeah, right. So okay. both of them are having a similar and, parent and, figure dies now. Right, and and it's just like it makes that storytelling easier and simpler because we don't have to tell that same story more. It's not the same story, but we don't have to do it twice. Right. And of course, ML Deer, unlike so, Galdor has a job. This, which is the reunion with Horan, is his job. Um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 narrative job that he has this season. Emil Deer doesn't actually have a job. Her but only... we don't necessarily want to just have her, like, show up dead at the beginning of the season, necessarily, right. I'm saying. She but... does have one thing that she yeah. needs to accomplish, and that is to get the epithet, the man-hearted, which is going to be useful for showing the cultural difference between the House of Bayar and the House of Hador, that to, the, to the House of Hador, that's she's a, a strong leader. <laughs> right. Well, she's a strong leader, so yeah. she acts like a man. Right. As far as they're concerned. Right. It's like, okay, you just took this whole group of people across the land to a new home. That's what Hador did. So right. man hearted. Right. <laughs> you know? right. 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 Like, yep. to, in their mentality, 
that's yeah. So we want to establish that cultural difference with her. So she needs to be alive to get called that. To get called that. Okay, you're right. Um, you're right. I'd forgotten. But we do have a plague that's going to come through and kill Elias, and you know oh, it can kill other people. We do too. have a plague. We can kill any number of people. But we want, that's but... pretty. That's a lot later. That's much in the later. Game. Oh right, because yeah. Huron and Morin are married and have kids already. So yeah, right. yeah, that's true. So if we need someone to die by the end of the season, but not in the near night. We've got the play. We've got the play. For yeah. characters that we need to die for story reasons earlier, we should probably find ways to... So, it, it's it's one of the things where, like, it gives us the opportunity for Huron to, like, really put his foot in it and basically go to Mormon. It's like, you know, like, I really think that now that our... Now that now that your people are leaderless, that, you, know, we should, you, you find yourself, yeah, because you find yourself without, without a leader, without a, leader, like a that's, leadership yeah. figure. Yeah. Like, there's nobody to there's step nobody. into the role of Emma yeah. here. Yeah. Baron is is nowhere to be found, obviously, yeah. and so, yeah. There's a know, serious shortage of strong men. In, and she's in, just in, looking yeah. at him like, yeah, and, and yeah, and your, <laughs> your people too, also leaderless. And he's like, oh no, well, I mean, what do you mean? I'm, Right, right. Yes. Because it yeah. would never occur to gotcha. him. Gotcha. Yep. Um, right. So and we, he would see himself as being really magnanimous and really... <laughs> he's being thoughtful, right? He's expressing concern, yeah. yeah. Um, right, so I think that'll be an early in their relationship kind of situation. So Emil Deer and Galar probably are dying sometime early in the season. Yeah. But the Union of Miseros isn't going anywhere anytime soon. No. So the initial meeting with Finken could be also early in the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the meeting at Tolsirian could be several episodes in. Like, season-wise, it could be much later, even if it's only a few years. Yeah. No, I I, I would... Well, I, I'm not going to try to speculate, I guess, about the outline yet. But <laughs> but it seems to me we're, that... We're heading in that direction. We're heading in that direction. But I, I agree. I think the Tolsirian meeting could be closer to the middle of the season basically it could it could be a mid it doesn't have to be the turning point but it it um it could definitely be a mid-season thing um yeah yeah so um G- G- but Tarion i think Midras a- would have interest in meeting the men yeah whether that's oh, definitely be galdor definitely. or Hurin or whoever um, and it would be kind of i mean if we're gonna have mithros show up at the king's court in dorloman It'd be kind of fun to have it be, you know, teenage Hurin, the new king there that he meets, um, especially since any connection he made with Galdor would go nowhere. Right. So um, True. it's it's, True. Prim- it's primarily um, not that Hurin and Mithras are going to meet on the battlefield exactly, but um, but they are going to meet at Tulsirian. Um mm. And so for Mithros to have some kind of estimation of Hurin and Morwen, possibly, you know, if he gets to meet them both, um, would I think be fun. I mean, I, I don't, this is not one of those things that I, like I myself absolutely insist on, but if we have the time, I think it would be fun for Mithros to be, and, and cause it certainly does fit as you were saying, um, we do have a need for Mithros to develop the idea of Mithros's conviction that the, the, key to success lies in the strength of men. Um, that's a conviction which is going to inform his whole strategy and lead to the whole Easterling experiment over there. And so 
building that, not just on the abstract idea of like, wow, that Baron and Luthien thing really panned out. I'm now going to go find human allies. We can introduce an intermediary step, basically. Right. And that seems right. desirable. I, I, I agree. And that way, the arrival of the Easterlings will be in response to something on mm-hmm. the Valerian side mm-hmm. instead of just, oh, you're here now. Okay. Right. Surprise. Let's go with this. Like, it'll... If we make it clear that he was looking for those kinds of allies and he was trying to cultivate it in West Beleriand, having it suddenly be an option in East Beleriand will yeah. fit. Yeah, exactly. No, that's good. Um, G.D. Tyrion was asking about how many years are we planning to cover in the course of the season. And it's basically, my understanding is that our primary constraint is the age of Huron and his children, isn't it? Yes. So the Near Knights takes place in 472, Right. And the um, Baron and Luthien season ended around 464 in some film. Uh, there, there's a few alterations in our version of it. So that's the time we're working with is around 464 to, well, the time in Gondolin is going to be before that. Right. But right. after Hurin gets out of Gondolin, it's 464 through 472. Yeah. Yeah. So um, not and, a long time. We're right. Gonna... But enough time for Hurin and Morwen to get married. And have, and have three, three kids. kids. Yeah. Or conceive three kids. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, they're, yeah, they don't, well, anyway, have a couple of kids. Yes, yes. At no point do they have three children all at the same time. <laughs> exactly. And not all three children are born before the end of the season. Exactly, right. Um, uh, three three children are to be conceived before the end of the season. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but but that, that, that eight years should be plenty of time for, for all that. Um, and Turin has to be old enough you know, to have his scarring childhood memories of the death of Lalai, for instance. Right. So. Right. So she's supposed to die when she's like three, right? And Turin's supposed to be around eight or nine at the time of the near knife, I believe. Um, so we'll try to keep as yeah. close to that as we can. Yeah. No. Um, that and and that seems that works out well enough. It's it's not a, a timing yeah. that I see any good we, motivation to change. We won't have a like crystal clear timeline going on throughout the season. Like the viewers aren't necessarily going to know what year it is at any given time. Right. Um, but as time progresses, kids are going to be born and right. aging and that sort of thing. So we will see the passage of time right. over about a decade over the course of the season. Without as always, people stopping it's, to check the year. Right. It's the humans who help us with this, but, um, but exactly. So certainly then going back to the other question, there really are almost no restraints on things like travel or right. logistics. We're not in that. Right. We're, we're, we're looking at almost a decade happening in this season. So mm-hmm. yeah. there's plenty of time. Um, yes. Yes. Um, not time to like raise whole new armies from scratch. Right. But if you already have the people, you can kit out armies right. in that amount of time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Some production and preparation can definitely happen. Um, and um, yeah. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's, there's plenty of, we, we don't have to be in a, we don't have to be in a huge rush, which is, um, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is helpful. Okay. Well, uh, let me, let me actually do my other slide. So let's talk about Fingen, which is our first slide here. Um, so, we are here picking up in this season. This season is in one sense, needs to be. I think an important goal of this season 
is it needs to be a satisfying payoff of the Fingen and Mithro story that has developed over the years, right? Yes. We showed them being friends in uh, in Valinor before the exile when they were when they were you know adolescent elves over there together. Um, we showed the pro you know Fingen's distress about. Um, you know, at being left behind and Mithros's distress at abandoning Fingen at the burning of the ships. Um, of course, we did the, um, in episode one of season four, we did the rescue of Mithros by Fingen and um, the abdication of Mithros in favor of Fingolfin um, and have occasionally come back to the tensions within the Feanorians that that has created. Um, but it's been a while. I mean, it's been really since season four that we've done much of anything with the Fingen-Mithros relationship. Season five, we had a lot of Fingen and Fingolfin, um, but there was no really direct connection between Mithros and Fingen that I recall much in season five. And then, of course, in season six, it didn't happen. So um, season six was Baron and Luthien. So, so it's been... A, it's it's been a while. It's not been like a continuous storyline. So it's to some extent we, we we've got a lot of setup for it, but we need to come back to it, kind of rebuild that, and make this into a fitting culmination of what had been an important subplot, really, among the Noldor uh, in Beleriand. So that's one of the challenges that I think we have to face. But at the same time, Fingon has in fact, has a whole bunch of other stories connected with him. And the first big one is Fingon is High King now. How's that going? Like, Yes, we haven't really seen. Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. Um, because we had Fingolfin's death at the very end of season five, like in the closing moments of season five. The, the High Kingship of Fingon was established as a point of interest Right? I mean, it's mentioned as a point of interest in the Baron, in the context of the Baron and Luthien story, but we have no interaction. We got nothing at all um, in that. So we yeah. have no idea. Fingen appeared in the first episode with some brief conversations with Finrod, who was the right. focus of those scenes. Right, right. And then he left. <laughs> we haven't seen him again. Right, exactly. Um, and yeah, actually, let's start with G.D. Taurian's question, which is, what does it mean to be High King in the post-Dagor Bragalach world? Right. Um, that's that's an excellent question. We had decided that what it meant to be High King before was mm. primarily that you are the unquestioned leader of all joint military efforts, right? Yes. They're all kings, right? They're all kings ruling their own kingships. They don't owe, like, fealty. They don't, you know... Pay Mithras tribute. Isn't the king. <laughs> he's just Lord of Him. Mithras isn't Mithras the king. Is he's only Lord of Him. Lord of Him, right, right. But I think that's a, a title that he, he has created that scenario specifically right. to avoid the appearance of right. competition. Yeah. He, right. he doesn't want to have. Nobody calls him king, but he's kind of unequivocally right. in charge of his <laughs> He doesn't want to have a West Roman, East Rome mm -hmm. scenario, essentially, mm -hmm. is what he's trying to avoid. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but clearly, everybody, even during Fingolfin's reign, everyone is leaving everybody else. I mean, there, there was no there was no question of 
you know, anybody having to ask Van Gogh permission or whatever. But clearly, when we get, if we're in battle, Van Gogh is the leader. Right. Which was why when Van Gogh traveled around and tried to rally the troops to actually do a thing, and he couldn't even get anyone on board for it, it was like, this is your one job as High King, (laughs) and everyone's supposed to defer to you. And they're like, yeah, but have you considered maybe just not? Right. Right. Yes, exactly. So he, Fingolfin was able to plan the leaguer, and he did coordinate and organize that. Um, but yeah, Fingen obviously is not going to start with the leaguer because that's gone. Yeah, yeah. So what is Fingen doing as High King, other than just ruling his own kingdom of um, Well, I want to come back to, though, to what you were just saying, because that is what you were just saying about Fingolfin. And mm-hmm. ultimately... It feels like Fingolfin's failure to create the military union that he was attempting to create in season five is essentially the death knell of the high kingship as a real thing, right? I mean, yes, there's still a high king, technically, right? But... If you can't do the one thing... If you can't do the one thing, then it's just purely a nominal title of respect, Right. It means right. if he can't, if Fingolfin could not bring them together into a united military action, then the title of High King does not actually mean anything in practice on the ground. And that Fingen is called High King after Fingolfin's death is polite, right? But I wonder how conscious. Fingen and Mithros each are individually that the whole high king concept is really it's just it's just it's just words at this point there isn't really any reality i mean again i i i feel like it is almost i mean this seems to me Marie, the the logical conc- like extension like the logical conclusion of the situation that you were aptly describing right um if at the end of the day, when the High King knocks on your door and says, it's time to rally for battle people, and you say, actually, I'm good. No, thanks. Um, then what you've said is, there is no High King. I don't recognize a High King. Right? Yes. Yes. And we specifically had Finrod say no thank you before Maidra said no thank you to establish that this was a universal thing, not just... The Feanorians not listening to the High King. <laughs> right. 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 And and they had different reasons for why they made their claims, but still, neither of them listened to him. I think that Maidros has been shown as someone who is much more interested in practical results mm-hmm. than in titles and ideals. Yes. I mean yes. he has he's he's got ideals, but he doesn't need a title if he can still do the job without the title. Yes. Exactly. A king is he who can hold his own. Yes. So like I don't care if you call me king. I just want to hold my territory. Right. <laughs> so and, and at the end of the day, I need to avenge dad. And I don't need to be king to do that, especially when Fingolfin also wants a piece of Melkor. So there's no... I'm sorry, Morga. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. So there's no, there's no reason to fight with Fingolfin over mm-hmm. who's in charge when right. we both want the same thing. Right. right. So Whereas... he was able to do that yeah. 400 years ago. Right. 
I don't think that he has suddenly developed a keen interest in titles. No, no. <laughs> at this point. In the no, game. but what? But the, Fingen's viewpoint is up for grabs because it's that's, his dad's title, yeah. and he's trying to follow in his dad's footsteps. He doesn't want to fail in the way that he sees his dad is failing, and he doesn't want to not live up to what his dad did. So it's like, even though Fingolfin didn't do the job, he right. still left a giant hole that Fingen has to honor in some way, right? Like, So I think Fingen probably feels a little bit more weight from the title yes. than my Supper would have. Sure. And so I think, on the one hand, Fingolfin did kind of fail at the High King job, but yeah. his but. death, in his death, he accomplishes something. That was a thing that we decided, that in everybody's yes. eyes, he accomplished something. So there is a sense in which uh, for having for 95% of the time looked like he wasn't accomplishing the job, at the end, he accomplished something, right? right. He did accomplish what could be called... Well, not exactly military leadership so much as military. Like, he was paving the way. He was demonstrating. Right? He, de- he successfully demonstrated that this was possible. Right? In a way that Fingen in particular would respect and admire. Like, yeah. Fingen is more of a hothead than Fingolfin ever was. Right. So there's no way he looks at his dad's action and is like, well, that was dumb. Like, that is not (laughs) how he views that duel. He did the most awesome thing ever. Yes. Right. He did the most awesome thing ever. Yeah, this is Fingen the Valiant. So, And he somehow got called Fingen the Valiant in Valinor when no one had anything to be valiant about. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so he's, he's got this Maybe they had a rugby team or something. and he. Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, yeah. whatever. But the, he, he clearly admires that level of throw yourself out there yeah. and do crazy stuff. And this... now as High King, he doesn't get to be like that. Unless he does. Unless he does, yeah. I would think, right, when, when he... What does he think being high king means? Especially in the in the wake of that, right? I would think that because again, there, there are a couple of logical one logical conclusion to the Fingolf, the end of Fingolfin's reign, right, is to say like, okay, so the high king concept is a failed concept, right? It, it failed to bring everybody together militarily, and that was its only job. So whatever, right? We're just letting it slide, or we'll just keep it around nominally. That that's one option, right? The other for Fingen in particular is okay. In his final battle, my father redefined what being the high king means, right? Um, and he did accomplish something as the high. He did pave the way. He 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 led us, right? In this as an exemplar, right? Um, he showed all of us the way. That's what a high king should do. Not to be politicking, not to be... Um, like That's not his job. The job of the high king is to be riding in the front, sometimes hundreds of miles in the front, uh, but riding in the front, right? Um, right? I mean, that, that so that he, he is that's high That's what Fenway did. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what Fenway did. Uh, it's really hard to argue that that's what the High King does when they keep dying that way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All kinds of precedent in support of this. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think that, for all of these reasons, I think that everybody's view of the High Kingship 
is sort of different. My suspicion, my suspicion is that everybody else, certainly the rest of the Feanorians, are like whatever, High King, Fingon, right, whatever. Like they, they don't care. Like they weren't, they, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, Caranthier, um, uh. I think Kurofin. the rest of the Feanorians care a bit more about titles. Like, they do. Mithras being like, we don't need to be kings. Why was Kurofin uh, so keen to take over Nargothrond? No, exactly. Well, if I you're was in charge of Nargothrond, you get to that. be king of Nargothrond, yeah. don't you? Like, yeah. They wasn't just that they wanted to be in charge of a group of people. I, I think Kurofin in particular has wanted the high kingship the whole time. He sees himself as his father's heir, and he's sick of other people taking this title that should be his. Mm-hmm. And so that undercurrent of there is a title, and because I can't have it, it's worth something, like the sour grapes approach, Right. I think is how the Fanorians feel. Yeah, no, that makes like, sense. They really, really want it because it's not theirs. If they had it, they'd be like, oh, whatever. <laughs> right, right. Um, and... In, and and certainly again I I I, they, they, I mean, Kurofin was resistant to Fingolfin himself, and I, I think is going to have very little respect for Fingon. He was he was making dismissive remarks about Fingon yes. in season six. Yes, um, not to his face, obviously, but yeah, implying that it's Fingon only has this in name only as a very temporary thing. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And G.D. Tarion says something about um, everybody else kind of seeing my as really being the one in charge. And that may be very well the reason why Ordreth opts not to fully participate. Uh, and why, certainly why Doriath opts not to participate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Out of respect for Fingon, Ordreth would come to the council to discuss it but because he doesn't want to be working for Mithros he would not participate that does right. make sense yeah and that that's how we get little remnants of Nargothrond and Doria joining because you don't just show up at a council like this by yourself you bring some right. contingent and like obviously Thingol's not going to come in person so he's going to send Belig and Mablung to the mm-hmm. meeting Right. And right. Bellig and Mablung are like, yes, we're totally in. But by the way, our um, king is definitely not, and right. we won't be able to bring anyone else with us. <laughs> it's, we're in, the two of us. All two of us. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. like, you can see how that dynamic happens if Ordra speaks at the council and says, no. But Gwinder's sitting right next to him going, why'd you do that? Right. Then, after they get back to Nargothrond, they have to sort out how yes. Gwinder's going to take a little contingent and Ardreth will say, okay, fine, as long as you do not march with any fan warriors. Right, right. And it's yeah. like, no problem, no problem. I'm going to go see Fingon. It's great. Right. Like, you know, so like, they'll work it all out, but Mithros' presence is what makes it the union of Mithros. Mm-hmm. And that's how everybody else perceives it. But Fingon and Mithros probably all along considered a joint effort. Mm-hmm. Between the two of them, they were never about one-upping each other or even interested in their family politics being at odds with each other. Like, 
they were aware of it, obviously, it affected them, but they didn't buy into it at any point. So I think that the private meeting between the two of them will have a very different mm -hmm. tenor to what yeah. happens in front of the whole group. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. I'm what I'm trying to think of is I... I feel that one of the things that's going to be a challenge is making sure that Fingen doesn't end up being a cipher in this season. It would be easy for that to happen. It would be easy to focus on Mithros being like, hey, I want to do the thing and I have reasons to want to do this differently and I'm changing my approach in certain ways and let's make this happen. So I'm going over. He goes out of his way, way out of his way, around Doriath and up and visits, uh, goes to Fing, uh, Fingen Seat of Power. Um, and he throws it out there. It would be easy to have Fingen be like, yes, friend, because I am your friend, I am in agreement with you. Let's do the thing together. I will call people. And then he calls people, and they're like, hi, people. Here's Mithros. He has a plan. And then Mithros has the plan, and some will and some won't. And then, you know what I mean? Like, And, and throughout it, we make Fingen not do much or say much. You see what I mean? I, I, I want to make sure is, that we have there's a, a cost. A clear... There's, there's several costs yeah. to think and agreeing to Mithros' plan. Yeah. One of them is the reason that Finrod resisted. Finrod said, like, hey, all my human friends here, like, they have real short lives and I don't want to, like, throw them all into a battle and have them die. That, that would be sad. And Finrod was maybe a little bit more like, don't kill my puppy about it. But... <laughs> Fingen still has human friends and allies, and right. if Mithras is saying, hey, it's not just the elves anymore, we've got human allies, Fingen has to have the gut reaction of, yeah, mine. <laughs> like, right. those aren't yours to use and yeah. spend on this battle. Right. And so I think the cost of, hey, let's do a battle now, Mithras might come across as a little bit more, well, I've got nothing else to lose, so let's do this fight now. Fingen still has things to lose. And so he has that cost of, is now the time. He's going to agree, yeah. but it's not automatic. And then the second part of it is, he knows the reputation the Feanorians have. Mm -hmm. He knows what's going to happen when he right. puts Mithras in front of a group of people yes. and say, hey, let's go join with this guy in battle. And everyone's going to be like, have you heard of the Feanorians? <laughs> <laughs> you right. do realize they betray everybody they get, you know. Mm. Right. So I, I think he's well aware of that. And for him to agree to it, he has to think it's worth it. Or he has to think, what's going to happen if I don't do this? Yeah. And he does know the Feanorians. Yeah. And he does know that there's a Silmaril in Doriath. Mm. So if they don't attack Morgoth, and he leaves the Feanorians to their own devices in East Beleriand with nothing else to do, what does he really think is going to happen? Right. Like, he's not an idiot. And I'm not saying that Mithras is going to blackmail him into no, it. I would join think my it, union or else we attack Doria. I, I would think it would go the other way. I would think right. that Fingen would say to him, you know, like... Yeah, what's this all about here? Or like, what are your... Uh, or basically say, essentially, uh, you... I mean, he would... Re he would not confront him, but he would say mm -hmm. to, to Mithros, like, I... You're suggesting this because 
if you don't point your brothers northwards, they're going to end up attacking Doriath, aren't they? And Mythos would be like, yes. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it, that could happen, right? Um, right. Well, because the whole reason that Orndreth is very much in doubt here is because of what Kelogorm and Kurofin did. Yes. Recently. This is not about, like, what Ancient did the Fanorians yeah. do back in Valinor. This yeah. is Finrod's dead because of your brothers, and yes. that happened a couple years ago. Yes. Did I, did I tell you about the... Um, the discussion we had in Mythgard Academy when we were talking about the, it was in the wanderings of who are, the, the conversation between, um, the draft conversation between Aeol and, uh, and Kurafin at the boards, <laughs> right? I really want to murder you, but I'm not going to. Yeah, exactly. But he explains in exquisite detail about how, like, I'd, I would, normally I would be murdering you right now, but uh, because of the customs, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, and we, you know, we were joking that he, he has, a, like, a pin somewhere, right? Like, you know, uh, my name is Kurafin, right? I, 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 it's been, like, you know, 300 years since, since my last kinslaying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kurofin is not um, usually shy about those types of actions. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I'm saying that Thingan knows that there's... The Feanorians are on a, about to be on a very steep downward spiral. Yes. So this is a last-ditch effort. Their last race. chance, yeah. And mm. it, they have haven't totally fallen apart yet, and Mithras hasn't done anything bad yet. Yeah. So he's probably good at coming across as this is the most reasonable course of action, and this is a good idea for these reasons. He probably doesn't sound too desperate. Does he feel himself, do you think? Mithros. Does Mithros feel himself to be on the edge of the precipice? Does he realize I, I that he this has, is like his I last chance? I think he chance? has an inclination of what's coming. Yeah. I that think he I knows. I gotta do must... this now. He must know that if A, he doesn't do this now, and B, if this doesn't work, mm-hmm. it's it's going to get really bad. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I I don't think this is a, oh, we finally gathered everybody together and we have enough numbers. This is the perfect time to attack. Let's go have a battle. Like, it's not a completely hopeful thing that's driving him to this. It is a, if not now, then is it ever going to get any better? Yeah. And once the Easterlings arrive, he's got to think, well, now's the time. Right. This is the day, right? This like is that. The day. Yeah. So that, that sense of, is it the right time? Is it the promised day? It's. There's a little bit of desperation in the Fanorians that think and wouldn't feel. Right. So I'm now, I'm, now I'm shifting back into Fingen's head, right? Yeah. Um, it's before Mithros' arrival. You're Fingen. Your high king. Um, Finrod's dead. Tulsirian is taken and then untaken. Um, right, taken and then unmade. Uh, and um, pile of rubble. Pile of rubble. Right, scenic pile of rubble. Um, and what do you do? Like, what's your plan? What is your what, what is what is Fingon's vision for his high kingship? Um, and I think that has got to be... So, like, think, for instance, when Gogalad becomes High King, his vision is going to be protect the remnant. That's yes. his job, right? Protect the yes. remnant. Fingen's not there, right? No. Especially since if the High Kingship 
the definition of the high kingship has been transformed in his own mind by his father's action and his father's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He will feel that on himself. Like, so, not what am I supposed to do, but how am I supposed to do it and when? Right. 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 So he, he he feels that call to action. Yes. He's looking up out over the the um, plains of Empalglyph all yep. the time. Yep. He sees it right there. He knows he's got to do something at some point, but beyond small skirmishes and just holding the line, he's not actively planning anything different, but he he's looking for that opportunity. Yes, and right. I think if we establish that... Sorry, Nick, no, 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 no. That, That's really kind of what... Because I feel like he might feel that he should resist his impulse. Mm -hmm. That the wise thing to do is to go through a period of rebuilding to get them back to the point where they were. To try uh, to reestablish the leaguer if possible? I mean... Right, yeah. right. That, like, because he, he, he knows his first impulse is to just get everybody together, everybody with him, yeah. and go straight to Thangorajim. Yeah. Right? But that's clearly wrong. Right. Like, that's clearly the, the wrong way to go about this. Yeah. And so, you know, he might feel like, because, I mean, the word purposeless keeps coming to mind. And so he might be trying to, to fill that void yes. of purposelessness yes. with he rebuilding, feels... which he's not suited for. No, no. And, and again, that also doesn't, if a desperate charge in the footsteps of his father, mm -hmm. not necessarily a solo charge, but like even leading yeah. the people on a charge, is if he feels like this is the path I'm called to, this is what I should do, this is what the High King should be. But if he feels like just herring off and charging in his father's hoofprints uh, up towards Thangarodrum is, is futile, um, trying to actually rebuild the leaguer has got to be more futile. Right. I mean, there's 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 no future he has to know that um, right. in addition to, as you say, Nick, not being well suited to it. But the, the thing that I'm getting at here, I think it's it's important. We don't want again, we don't want Fingen to be a cipher. We don't want Fingen to be there like, ha, la di da, I'm being high king, which means I don't know what I'm sitting here doing not much, really, until Madro shows up. And then I'm like, hey, old friend. Yeah. A battle? Yeah. That sounds like a great plan. Let's do. It. And then he's and he's just no thoughts or ideas of his own, and he's just going along with Mithros, right? Um, if instead, basically, he is saying they're saying, "I'm, you know, I must go. I must go in my father's footprints. I am. I. I. I should. It is my, you know, it is my purpose to assault, uh, to to exploit the weakness that my father demonstrated." Right, he is not unassailable. My father proved that, and it is my job as high king to assail him. But when and how? Um, I'm not just going to be imprudent. I'm not just going to. Right. And, and then here's and then Mithros shows up and says, "Need Mithros for yeah, that. He, yeah. He's he doesn't have Mithros's mind, and and so it, left to his own devices." he probably would have made things way worse than right. it wound up being. Right. Because, right? um, I mean, the Nurnite's not a bad plan. No. 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 The, That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. Problem is that 
Margot found out about it. It's yes. really, no, it's really quite a good idea. Um, uh, and and the thing, the line in that chapter that oh, I always found most moving on that point is the one where it says, and even then. Yeah. They might still have been successful. He says it a couple of times. <laughs> yes, yes. Like it's not just that. Like in theory, had everything gone well, it could have worked. It was like everything had to go wrong in order for right. it not to work. Right? I mean, that's right. it, it. Really, was a good plan. Like it. It's. Yeah. It's. It. Yeah. It, it could have. Sh- so, in other words, when Fingen, if Fingen is sitting there saying. I should attack. I must attack. But when and how, I don't see the way. And then Mithro shows up and says, hey, I want to attack. And Fingen is like, I, t- I shall take it as a sign. Right? This is the way. Great. So you and me together, this is how what it was meant to be. This is how we shall accomplish my vision of following in my father's footsteps and exploiting the weakness that he demonstrated in Morgoth and his defenses. And then they're going to do it. Like, they're absolutely, like, yeah. the odds are in their favor, right? I yeah. mean, if, if if Vegas had been around, they, they you know, they, they, they might have laid even odds at, you know, at worst on, 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 their, on their attacks. Um, at yeah. least this is how it needs to look from the Elvish point of view, yeah. right? And right. it's not like, just there's, delusion. There's a real chance here, right? There's a real and chance. And Mindrus can lay out the reason of what has changed since Van yes. tried to do it. Yes, we're going to need to tell the audience, like, no, really, guys, it's different this time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, this, the, the, there is, I, I, I really do think that we need to make, and then, but then, of course, so it's like, just as Mithro shows up in Ithil Syrian and, uh, and, and Fingen is like, it is a sign. This means, like, you know, everything is being brought together. So then Mithros goes home, and then the human armies show up. And he's like, it is a sign, right? Truly, this is exactly how it was meant to be. Everything is coming together in order to bring about the final downfall of Morgoth. Um, this is um, this, this, this is great, right? And so it really should look... So what we're aiming for is a think and die doing what he loved. <laughs> like that kind of thing at a funeral where you're like... Yeah, it's real unfortunate that this accident happened, but at least he was out there doing what he loved and then he died. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, what we want is to, ideally, we want our audience to believe in their bones that Fingen is destined to succeed where his father failed. That Mithros is destined to succeed where his father failed. That I this was time when we were going to bring Mithros' father into this conversation because all this like in my father's footsteps it's like uh huh uh huh yeah this time it's all going to happen this time it's going to work it really is going to work this is different this is totally different from before and they have him right where they want him and it begins to work and it's looking great like it's going to work we're right after the Baron and Luthien season so even if people are like some film is always sad they're like no 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 sometimes really great things happen so we will totally set the audience up for thinking that the end of the season is going to be a great battle everything points to the final glittering success of everything and, and then and then everything comes crashing down and it should be uh, horrible. It should be horrible 
at the end when yes. everything fails. Um, and that's when all the viewers stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on. You're muted, uh, Nick. Um, so that no. does not make stop viewers stop watching <laughs> just because things are sad. <laughs> right. like, it, people um, did not stop watching Game of Thrones because it got sad. They stopped watching it because it got terrible. Right. And they got angry. And they got yes. angry, yeah. I'm yeah. saying if we set this up to look like they're really going to succeed and everything is finally aligning and coming together and this is the day, and then the day comes and it all fails, there will be people who will be very angry at us. <laughs> Which would be sorry, source material. Right. Um, so this is where, but remember, as, um, as G.D. Tarrin was reminding us um, of our theme of Estelle and Amdir, right? Yes. The whole, it's too much Amdir. Way it's all Amdir, yeah. Uh, every bit of it is Amdir, and the Amdir is all going to fail, but the Estelle won't. Right, and, and I, I do think that some yeah. of Fingen's feeling of like this is what I'm destined to do is Estelle. Like Fingen isn't 100 percent Amdir. Mm-hmm. Mithras probably is. Yes, because he's he's a little too desperate for this to be a true Estelle. Yes, and even and he's too. No, no, no! I, I did the math. This is this is gonna work, yes. you guys. Yes. That, that's all very Amdir. So he's Mithras is our one hundred percent Amdir guy, but Fingen doesn't have to be. Like Fingen can buy into it because of the Amdir. Yes. But he can have that sense of no, this is this is the way it's meant to be. This is this is the right thing to do. It's all gonna work out somehow or another. I, I, I've got a good feeling about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it also. Uh, it, uh, it um, uh, vague pronoun, how the end feels. Like, yes, mm-hmm. it needs to be a crushing disappointment, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to feel like a betrayal on our part, right? No. It's, it depends on how people die, right? Yes. Fingen's going to die, but how he dies, I mean, I don't mean his cause of death on his death certificate. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> circumstance. <Balrog. laughs> the Balrog. Exactly. That's, that's, he has uh, to die valiantly. Valiantly, we, we know, we but know accomplishing something. Cloven and all that. But yeah. that's not the yeah. point. The that's point not the point. Is, the point is, he, 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 I, I think that we can actually make him accomplish something. And it right. can be Estelle rooted. Yeah. Right. It, the, that was a grim meeting. Like, Obviously, Fingen had a really bad day at that point. <laughs> but how was how Gothmog dealing right. with all that? Right. Like, Gothmog came face-to-face with the High King of the Noldor 2. And granted, it was a little easier for him. Like, he yes. obviously walks away from this. Right. But, yeah, I think we can show that final confrontation on, with Fingen and have it be not unlike... The death yeah. and have it I mean, accomplish something exactly the same. and yeah. have it accomplish something and yeah. and it's hard to i mean i don't want to just like recapitulate the same thing over and over again like uh, i don't want to do the same thing with thing that we do with who are uh for instance but um no it needs to be different but the f- the focal point of estelle at the end of the battle is turgon right Right. right. So the whole, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could imagine, <laughs> is okay. Like, we can right. lean into this with Fingen. Like, right. Sure, with, go ahead and, and kill me. So, I'm and not I, I'm not, so, like, one of the things that I can see, again, if we can do it without making it sound merely repetitive, um, if Fingen's final charge, which exposes him and brings him against Gothmog, um, 
is like the very first thing that enables Turgon to disengage. And then the men of Dor Loman come in to guard, uh, you know, to guard his rear as he's, yeah. as he's crossing. Okay. If, yeah. If, if, Gothmog first, is, if Gothmog is, if is knocked down, mm-hmm. right? If, if Gothmog isn't, um, he, he doesn't have to be hurt so severely that he can't walk away. Right. But if he's knocked down, that is going to knock the armies of Morgoth on their butts for a good while. And I'm, by the way, fully prepared to see Gothmog maimed in this mm. battle. Um, he he needs to walk away. He needs to live. He's going to get killed by... But he doesn't have to, like, be unmarred by that. Okay. Right? I mean, like, right. I, I think there could be some... Um, he's going to walk away. But he, he could well, live. But away. he can be scarred. He could totally and not. I mean, scarred I, for life. Yeah, I mean, I'd be prepared to like have Gothmog lose an arm, for instance. Why not? Oh, right. I mean, okay. he could. He could. Mm. Um, I t- such. Th- I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Ecthelion to be like you know Gothmog was uh, you know I'd already uh, you know seriously uh, you know that he got him after he was already warmed up by finger but still so I, I don't want to take anything away from but then again like given that given that Ecthelion is gonna have lost both his arms by that point it would be kind of funny um but anyhow uh it's so not going too far ahead there um anyway the point is I think that he could have a significant amount of success against Gothmog and still be killed and still uh still save Gothmog enough for future uh for future battles um okay uh, but the idea of halting the advance. Yes. At the very least, he halts them. At the very least, he halts them and probably allows the uh, Turgon yeah. to leave. And so right. again, if if he also has the insight, which would be man- which would manifest differently with him and interact differently with his own sense of his identity and his calling, but if he also has that Huor esque insight, n- per- not as clearly as Huor does, right? Huor mm-hmm. has this clear presentiment of Arendel for himself. For you and for me, a new star shall arise. It's very specific. Very specific, <laughs> yes, exactly. Fingen's insight wouldn't be that specific at all, right? But he would have... This is where, like, Estelle, you know, is born in the middle of despair, right? The whole... This doesn't end with me. This doesn't end with me. Right. My, You can kill me, but it's not over. I realize now my job is not to... He thought his job was to succeed... Um, in the footsteps of his father, right? To finish right. the work that his father began. In the middle of the battle, he's going to realize that's not, in fact, how this is going to pan out, right? My omdir for success in this battle will at that point have dropped down to zero, right? But the realization he can have is that this doesn't mean that I'm not going to accomplish anything, right? This yeah. doesn't mean that hope is lost. It just means we're not going to win this battle, right? Um, yeah. And so, so yes, he fails and dies, um, but it, but again, it doesn't have to feel like a betrayal of what we've set up uh, to that point. It's still part of the trajectory. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I do think that um, I do think that in the first half of the season, we need to sell it like we ourselves are convinced that they not only can win, but it re- uh, th- th- definitely that they can win and that they might win. I think the the tipping point for that is going to be 
Like we'll we'll have some, some characters not on board, like Ordra and Doriath, obviously. And and that will be like, oh, are they going to have enough people? Are they going to be able to do this? Right. Once the Easterlings show up, it's like, oh, we've got the numbers now. We're good. Yeah. Turgon showing up with a giant army on top of that. Absolutely. Means they should be great. Like they were already okay before Turgon did that. So. Yeah. yeah. And the like, dwarves. I, I think come selling that they're prepared should yeah. be easy. When we we keep adding forces to them, we're not subtracting them. It's not yeah. like they planned this whole union and then oh these guys, uh, you know, it wasn't like that. It was they were, they just keep adding more armies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm looking for I I'm looking forward to bringing the dwarves in in some yeah. kind of unexpected yeah. way too. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> in the second half of the season, we're adding Easterlings, momentum builds, dwarves, yeah, Kurgan yeah. and Gondolin, yeah. The arrival of the feel like they're gonna win. Yeah, the arrival of the Easterlings should be kind of like the the turning point. Yeah, it's like, like a huge this should be the point where where my mother's like, oh, pff, yeah, we got this. Exactly. Yeah, this exactly. Is, yeah. Not only not only is this possible, it's darn right likely. Exactly. At this point, it's probable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, uh, Steve was asking, could they really have taken Morgoth? Yes, Tolkien yeah. suggests at multiple points in versions of his legendarium that defeat of Morgoth is definitely on the table. Yeah, um, absolutely. The reason they don't is all back to the Doom of Mandos, that the yes. Noldor are just going to not ever do this. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's not because they can't, it's just the fate says no. <laughs> yes, yes. For um, reasons. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um now, kinsling reasons. Kinsling reason. In all of this, how are we playing Hurin in relationship to all of this? He left Gondolin because he wanted to be a hero fighting Morgoth, and he didn't want to sit there and grow old and never yes. get the chance. Yeah. He didn't um, want to be Hobbit. He also wanted to follow in the footsteps of Fingolfin. Yes. Because Fingolfin's grave yes. is in Gondolin, and he knows that story yes. firsthand now. And yeah. I think that, that the return of Hurin should have a very profound effect on Fingon. I think that that's the point at which he is there. Like, there's no question in his mind that they're doing the right thing. Yes. Yes. It's the third sign, right? The first sign is Mithra showing up in the first place. The second yes. sign is the arrival of the the humans, the Easterlings, right? The the the, the ally that they well, need. Well, the return of Hurin should happen before that. Oh sure. no 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 yeah 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 no sorry um yes um but I, I wouldn't think of the return of Hurin as a huge sign for Fingen necessarily. Um, I mean, it would weigh into that, but it would like the for Fingen the major signs would be. Mithros's proposal of the very thing that he is thinking of first. Secondly, the arrival of the Easterlings, that now they have a real probability. And the third being the arrival of Turgon and the Gondolindrum on the battlefield would be the three things that would suggest to Fingon yeah. we're well, totally the, winning. This is the right thing to do. Well, the, the night is passing, day has come, is what he says when Turgon shows up, right? Like, it's yeah. in response to that third yes. sign. So, yes, I yeah. 100% agree that for him, he's like, oh, this is it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Done deal. But Done deal. I also think that, yeah, like the the trickling rocks that start the avalanche could be the return of her. Yeah. yeah. Because why is this on Fingon's mind right now? Well, 
Hearn's return brings up some of what happened with Dingolfin as well. Fingen would absolutely want a long private interview with Hurin when he returns. Yeah. Because before that point, they don't really know. They don't know that Morgoth was even injured, I don't think. Like, they know something happened. Right? But It depends how far we take the telepathy thing. We suggested a potential awareness of what was going on. Right. Though we didn't spell out the details of that. We did, but I'm saying that if anyone would have been privy to Fingolfin's final thoughts. Fingen is top of the list of who mm-hmm. would Fingolfin have been tied into yeah. at that point. But, but it's, yeah. you don't usually like take time during your fighting for your life to like think, oh, let me send a message to my kid. <laughs> right. But it's true. I, I had not... You're right, Nick, that I was overlooking that angle of... Hurin being the one to tell the story to Fing like to tell the story to Fingen of the full death of Fingolfin. We have to be careful how we handle that because Hurin is sworn not to tell anyone where he's been. And he shows up dressed like an elf prince after being lost in the wilderness for a couple of years. So everyone's like, So you're totally not coming from that hidden city that Turgen built, I guess. Um, like so, people know, but he can't even tell his dad where he was. Hurin's so is he right? Is where he Hurin has been? Thinking and say like, let me tell you about your brother and your dad. <laughs> your dad. So, I mean, but but seriously, like that's got to be the second worst kept secret in the history of Middle Earth. The sure, worst kept secret being that Goadriel has a ring of power. But the 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 worst <laughs> the second worst kept secret has got to be that Hurin was in Gondolin, right? I mean, right. Like so, everyone I, I can think, reason that. I, I think we have some leniency to have her and publicly deny everything, and then if Fingen pulls him aside and has a private conversation, like, just tell me how my brother is. <laughs> like, <Right>. I don't care. <laughs> like, but I was sworn for secrecy. Like, I don't care what Turgen told you. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm his. I'm, I'm his older brother and his high king. So don't you give me Turgen yes. told me not to. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and like, I, I, who said I would, anything about Turgon? Right, like, I would. Mac, think we that, know where you were. <laughs> right, I would think that even Hurin himself might feel a little bit more freedom with Fingen, not only because of I, both of those factors, right? Yeah, um, and also beca- th- 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 that factor—the factor that I mean, it is the brother of the guy who swore me to secrecy, but also who has authority over him as well. It's his king, his his high king. I'm talking to, but also Hurin's high king. Right, I mean, is uh... right. Yeah, there's so there's there's levels where I think we could make an excuse for that private conversation to happen, mm-hmm. right? And maybe Fingen could even offer to swear an oath of secrecy himself, not to repeat anything that's said in this room, right? At which point, Hearn would be like, "Well, okay." Then. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. We have to be careful. We do have to navigate that, but I do think it's navigable, and I love the dramatic impact. Yeah. If we start with, so if, if the sequence then is Fingen is uncertain what to do or what his vision is, talks to Hurin, hears the whole story of Fingen, and that's when it becomes clear to him, right? Then he has his vision, but he's uncertain how to act on it. Then, you know, the second movement then is Mithros <laughs> knocks on the door, and now we're off and running, right? But yeah. to have his conversation with Hurin 
which and and it's not just going to be yeah i was somewhere i'm not going to tell you where and as a human i really wanted to fight against morgoth and fingen being like fighting against morgoth that's a good idea like there has to be more but the 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 relaying of the story of the like even if he's playing coy and is like, I can't tell you where I heard this, but I did hear a, you know, eyewitness account of your father's uh, duel with Morgoth. Would you be interested to hear about that? <laughs> right? I mean, that's right. The, the dramatic impact of that seems really clear. Right. So, yeah. 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 So I, I think we can have the characters talk around things a little bit without yeah. um, not having the conversation. Right. Um, and I, and honestly, like the, the uh, within a culture, within an honor-based culture, there are lots of traditions for how to preserve one's honor while still doing the thing. Right? Yeah. Um, so there, it wouldn't. I don't think it'll be that hard to have. As long as we make an effort. An effort, right? Yeah, to have yeah. Fingen and Hurin observe certain conventions whereby he has not technically broken his oath, but he knows that he's got to know that telling right. Fingen his own liege lord and the brother of the one who made him swear is not violating the spirit of the oath that he took from... from right. So Duncan. he could never say the name Gondolin, Gondolin or, in the whole thing. And certainly right? not say where it was, you know. Um, Cert- yeah, he's not yeah. going to give any hints about that. But um the, the way you talk around someone's name exactly. by identifying exactly. it, right? Like, yes. one who is known to you doesn't yes. name the person, exactly. but you can say that, and then yes. leads to, the, like, oh, you mean my younger brother who's in Gondolin? Oh, that one. <laughs> the mighty elf lord of whom we both know of, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. It's, it, with right. some, I, I would, because again, if, you, if it's, there are ways to maintain your oath to keep to hold your oath and maintain your honor and yet do the right thing when those things seem to be in conflict yes. right so right yeah and considering how much of our story is about people not figuring out how to maybe <laughs> not keep their oath when it right. is a violation of honor right. uh how I to properly nice. massage the oath situation <laughs> yes. right it would be nice yeah. to see somebody who handles it yes. a little better yes yeah absolutely absolutely um, i agree that oaths in this culture are going to be different. Like we, we have to treat them differently than a modern audience being like, Oh, what oath? Who cares? And right, like, no, exactly. this is really his word. He can't go back on it. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but he can go around it. He can go around it. He can go around <laughs> it. Especially when he deems that it's the in right thing to do. And even in the spirit of, of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So no, I, just, I, I love that. If that's where, and that can be, well, Again, not getting into outlines, but that happens first. Mithros right. comes second. Um, then... Then we, Easterlings, then Dwarves, then Turgon arrives. Right. Well, then the Council, then Easterlings, then Dwarves, then mm-hmm. Turgon, then Battle and Death. Um, uh, yeah. 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 No, that's good. So, sorry, I've been on the Fingon slide this whole time. We Other things about... Other Mithros specific things that we want. Let's let's. We've talked about the Thanorians and the tension among the Thanorians, but let's let's lay this out a little bit more clearly. Yeah. Um, let's do a let's let's do a let's do a vote. Let's go let's go head by head, right? Head count, yeah. Head count. Okay, we, we know where Mithros is and why he's there. Um, where's Maglor in this whole Maglor situation? Maglor is with Mithros. With Mithros, he's 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 number one that's, supporter. That's his loyalty. He's. 
thought of something. Maglor should be the voice of the Feanorians are on the verge of the precipice, and if we mm-hmm. don't decide on some positive action, we're going to go down the drain, right? Yeah. Um, Maglor should be the one who has that insight, right? Okay. Um, I, I, I would. I mean, it, it can come through. I, mothers will agree, right? But, but no, it can be my. It could be Maglor who voices it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's really his insight. Mytheros is all about the positive action, right? He's thinking about the opportunity, um, and so he's not even really thinking about what would happen if we didn't, right? But right. Maglor would have that insight. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Okay. And um, Maglor was supposed to be the one who was going to kill. Um, Alfang, I think, in the Silmarillion. So we'll have to find something honorable for Maglor to do in the battle as well. Uh, in yes. Because now we want Galadriel to be involved in uh, yes. writing her wrong. Right, right. Killing Uldor, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, I, have, I have a feeling that finding something valiant for Maglor to do in the Near Nights shall not present a major challenge. Right. I'm just pointing out that of all the, all we know about the Fanorians in that battle is they all get wounded, except for Maglor. Like so, right. Maglor accomplishes the thing, right, so we right. just need to preserve that. Yep. But okay, yep. so that's that's Maglor. Yeah, we do keep that in. Okay, so let's jump to uh, Amras. Yes. So his yurt wandering days are over. Yeah. He probably is still fairly negatively minded about things. Yeah. But. The oath is waking back up. He can't just ignore everything forever. Yes. And the idea of a battle is like, great, let's just go end it all. I'm in. People will die. Maybe I'll die. Maybe I won't have to deal with any of this anymore. Like, he's dark yes. in his outlook. There's no Omdir in yeah. him. Yeah. No, Omdir or Estelle. For, or Estelle, for yeah. yeah. He has neither. And yeah, he has neither. he's not shy about saying so. And therefore, I think that his willingness to go along with this is going to feel very reckless fay. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. might as well just ride out and die right. in battle like you do. You know, like, <laughs> right. Fay, though fay in a kind of apathetic sort of way, right? <laughs> yeah, not, he's not like energetically fay. Right, More not energetically like, fay. Might as well go die, I don't care. But yeah, but still like willing to commit. Like, So he's, yeah. he's on board, but... In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. The, a, a, a kind of um, a sort of nihilism uh, from from Amras he does seem the right thing here. Um, yeah. Yes. And it could even be in observing him, Amras, that leads Maglor to his insight that things are headed towards the cliff with the Feanorians. That the the descent into the down the drain is uh, is imminent. Um, because in a sense, Kelgorm, Kurofin, and Karanthir are bad data points, even among Feanorians. Right? Um, I mean, they've been ready to go off and do bad things at all times. Right? So, yeah. so if Magor's watching them and yeah, being like, they- yeah. Yeah, they weren't waiting for an opportunity to get Exactly, um, exactly. Um, but uh, but watching Amras would maybe be the thing that could lead Maglor to say, "Yeah, actually, this is this is trending 
this is getting ugly. This is getting dark mm-hmm. and is going to get darker. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was just a just a, a quick thought about the purpose of Amros's negativity. If you see what I mean. Yeah, we've 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 struggled a lot to work him in with a consistent viewpoint. Yeah. And make good use of him. Like we have a very clear idea of what he's supposed to be and do, but it's so out there. It's really hard to work him into stories that way. So this will be the one opportunity where everyone else is talking about <laughs> war and death and risk, and he's like, "Yes, that." <laughs> right. Maybe it all ends. I'm in like, favor of all of those things. I, yes. It's like that's not what we meant, but okay. <laughs> uh, yes. so yeah, I think I think this will finally be a place where we can express those thoughts in a context that feels and, a little more natural. Yeah, and interestingly, interestingly, of all the Feanorians, because thinking about, we've got a, a lot of Feanorian territory still in front of us, yeah. um, and very little of it written <laughs> or sketched, right? That is, we've got right. the Feanorians doing a lot of stuff off screen, right? In, from the perspective of the, of the, you know, of the published Silmarillion, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, and Amras, of all the Feanorians, he's the one who, of our Feanorian character, still has most room for growth. There's a lot of room for him. He, because Kurafin and Kelgorm and Karanthir, they are who they are. And they're yeah, always going to be they're who they're not growing. Are. They're not growing. Yeah. And they're not really yeah. changing. They could get worse, but, yeah. uh, but you know. Even Magler, who's kind of a decent guy, has very little room for growth. He's been very static. The one thing he'll do is with Elrond and Elros. Yeah, that exactly. will be a decision point for him that makes it clear that he does sometimes decide to do a thing. Right. And not and, just follow around other people. Right. Mithros, of course, has a tragic arc still in front of him. Um, but that's still not. We can see from Mithros and Magor's speech about the Silmarils at the end that again, Mithros isn't going to like change who he is. Right. Like he's got a series the, of the. Yeah. The reason they're so tragic is because they stubbornly stick to the same thing till the end. Yes. If they would just change, maybe something. Right. Right. This wouldn't have been so bad. Right. Um, exactly. No. Everyone's inability to change has been part of the problem and will obviously create all the rest of this mess. Right. So the very fact that we have kept Amras sort of detached from both, because really, I mean, we've got the good guys and the bad guys in the Feanorians. Right? Yeah. The M's and the C's. <laughs> yeah. We got the M's and the C's. And, <laughs> and Amras has been on his own, right? He's been detached yeah. from both of them, which means he can, he can go either way. He could he could have a, a sort of a quasi redemption arc and 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 get better and die well that could happen, or he could you know be, we could make him uh, the the you know the whole like the the death of the um, the sons of Dior could be his doing entirely we we could make him the monster right like, you know like right if right. we wanted we could, to we could we, we, we could, could push him either way yeah. There's so much scope for Amros right. that n- nobody else has that much scope for change. Um, growth was perhaps the wrong word. Change is really what I mean. Right. right. Change of direction. Change of direction. Exactly. Yeah. And um, with the attack on the Havens, we know almost nothing about it. So 
did Amras instigate it? Did he oppose it? Did he show up and then throw his arms down and let people kill him? Like, we don't know. We don't know. Does he commit suicide? And maybe he could. We don't even know, right? I mean, he dies in the battle. Yeah. He dies in that attack. But what was he doing? What was he doing? Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah right. it could be suicidal. He could have been like tried to save elves. From- he could have. He could have. He could have been one of the ones who at least thought about changing sides. There, yeah. maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Who knows? I mean, I've got needless to say, I like happy stories, uh, which is why I'm so invested in the Silmarillion. But, um, uh, but so it, 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 it but still, so I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that Amras, you know, dies well and has a has a comes to a good end. But we have we have some freedom there. Anyway, the point is, I think. This plan for Amras, the, like, nihilistic, quasi-suicidal enthusiasm about the battle, is, I think, a good place for him to be right now and still leaves our options open for where we want to take him when we come to Tabula Raza in Doriath, which is what we're going right. to be com- com- coming close to with the Feanorians after this season. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So that's so now, now the seas. Um, Karanthir, I think, is the easiest to deal with mm-hmm. because his role in this is quite clear. He's the dupe. Yeah, he's the dupe. And we've shown all along that he is someone who is always managed by others Yeah, because he's a hothead. He's not someone you can bring into council. He is very proud and knows what he wants and reacts his way. He's not a people person. Yeah. Mm. And therefore, he only makes friends with people who flatter him and handle him. Right. Right. And so the Easterlings are going to figure out how to do that. The same way the dwarves did. I mean, the dwarves used him a lot and he used the dwarves. So the challenge, I think, um, the big, the hardest part that I see is Karanthir, or sorry, Kurifin. Kurifin is really smart. Yes. How does he not get suspicious of these? So I, I can see reasons why if all the Feanorians, to some extent, have to be convinced that the Easterlings are their allies, right? Well, Boar is. And Boar's the leader. Right. So, it's not a, it's because it's legit. That's why. Right. And. The, but like Oldor's move is a total Karanthir move. Or sorry. I, I'm sorry. So, I mean, a total Kurafin move rather. Like if anyone yeah. sees that coming or suspects that that might happen, I mean, if anyone in the, on the continent is going to say like, well, gosh, isn't it convenient that this army showed up right now at our disposal Mightn't there be some scheme within a scheme here? Wouldn't Kurafin be the one to think that way? And not um, only wouldn't he figure it out, if he's not involved, he's looking for that. Because right. if Boar's mm. being all friendly with Mytheros, because, you know, leaders talk to each other, and Aldor et al. have latched on to Karanthir, you know, where's Kurafin's army? Right. Why doesn't he get his own little personal army of men? He's going to feel a certain kind of way about that. Right. And therefore be looking for the, what's wrong with this picture? Something here sticks. Yes. I think that he thinks he can use Aldor. I don't think he anticipates 
a betrayal of the Alliance. I think he might anticipate the betrayal of Omer's father. Mm. He might see that coming. Okay. So, and of course we've got to work, obviously we have to work Galadriel into this whole thing, like her, it's not just the Fanorians and the men. There's Galadriel in the middle of this too. So we got to, I I can't forget about that, but. Right, because Historically, she has not exactly been good friends with the sons of Fëanor. No, and quite the opposite. So, for her to show up with an army and then hand it over to them, that doesn't seem like a thing she would do at all. No, especially not Curafin. You know, the one who right. usurped the throne of her brother. Yes, yeah, yeah. That uh, guy. she can't be too much better, more kindly disposed towards them than Ordreth is. Uh, she wasn't there, but still, um, it's her brother who died. She yeah. feels that pretty strong when we showed that last season. So how do the Easterlings end up with the Feanorians and not under Galadriel's control? Well, does she lose them? Okay. So we've got to, cause she tells them come East and join, or sorry, West wrong, yeah. wrong mountain range. <laughs> come West and join what we're doing here in Valerian. Then, Myers wins her over. I think he says, "You know what? You, you did an amazing job. Yeah, this is phenomenal. Yeah, and you know what? I I feel like you de- you've deserved a seat at the table this whole time. It's gonna. It, I mean, you got to be careful because it might sound like he's just um, he's just trying to. He's he's like giving her the business." But he might legitimately admire her mm-hmm. accomplishment. Mm-hmm. She's the and, instrument of the catastrophe, the right. huge human mm-hmm. army that comes in. She was always poised to be that before they came to Beleriand. Yes. They get to Beleriand and she vanishes. She goes to Doriath and no one ever right. sees her again. And so Maedros could kind of be like, where have you been this whole right. time? Where did you like, come from? You've arrived at the perfect time and we were not looking for you at all. Like it's the precursor of Turgon showing up with an army. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that should be the attitude of like, oh, well, I guess that's what you were up to. Right. And <laughs> and and the reality is that nobody else has like been like here, Galadriel. You're like you're important to what we're doing. And we're get you know you have a job here and you know her brother her own brothers didn't do that. She is of all the players in the Nirnaitha Arnoidiad, she's the only genuinely new fact. I mean, you could say the humans, um, but even they've been around. I mean, they they they've been around. They were there in the Dagor Bragalak, right? She's the new player on the field. Right, I mean, we've got all that's left is Mithros and Fingen. Oh, and Galadriel! All of a sudden, out of nowhere, mm. out of retirement, practically, as you say, Marie, she she vanished. Right, she was a go-getter, um, all the way up through and including the Hell Caraxa, and then she goes into retirement. Right, first in Doriath and then in Osirian, and seems to be a complete. Not everyone is forgotten about, not forgotten about her. But you know what I mean. I mean no one factors well, her in. The last time she showed up at a meeting where they were talking about what to do was in year five. Yes. And now we're in year 
four sixty something. Exactly. It's been yeah. <laughs> like it's been half a oh, millennium since okay. she's been even involved in anything. Yeah. So she comes out of nowhere. So my, that's going to be my. It's, I agree. You know, Nick. That's Mothers' reaction. He's like, "Whoa, man! This is I mean, in 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 a way." Galadriel showing up with a massive human army is like more unexpected and you catastrophic than Turgon coming out of Gondolin, right? I mean, it's it's well, at least uh, we knew Turgon was there. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, nobody expects the Easterling army. Either. Nobody expects the Easterling army. Um, so, yes, but and here geography comes back to our aid, I think. Um, as far as w- when you're talking about handing the army over to the Feanorians, I don't think she does, right? But their allies, she clearly, she and they, the Easterlings, clearly have to work with the Feanorians because Fingon, I mean, she might want to join Fingon, but she can't, right? I mean, geographically, she can get the army over there. The Feanorians are the ones who are there, right? And the... Motivation for the Easterlings to cross the mountains had a lot to do with, like, free land up for grabs. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of free land in East Beleriand. Yes. There's not very much free land in West Beleriand. Right. Like, Mithram is occupied and Ithlam is occupied. Right. So, Fingon's area is not up for grabs the right. way that East Beleriand is. Yeah. So, even if it's not maybe what they had in mind or whatever... That's where they are, and that's where they're stuck. And, yeah, I think we can lean into the, oh, well, we were hoping for this, but I guess logistically it doesn't work. And Goadril, so Goadril would have two insights here about the Feanorians then, it would seem. One is, first of all, she can, she wanted to bring them over because she had a vague and non-specific sense that this would be an important and a good thing. When she arrives, when she arrives and is the eucatastrophe, she'll, she'll feel that too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so uh, apparently I have come over in the nick of time, right? right. Just, I did the thing. The I right did the thing. thing. It, again, she will also be feeling like my own arrival is a sign that, that this is supposed to happen. So she will be for that reason, pre, um, um, Disposed to work with the Feanorians, where she might not have been like, "Oh, I have an idea." The Feanorians—that would be my top plan, right? So she would go along with it because she would see this is the momentum of how things are going. She too would be reading the signs in that way. The second thing would be exactly Maria, as you were saying about the land, right? She would know she's not dumb. She's telling them that there's land over here, right? She wants them to come over and to help you know, maybe establish a new leaguer or whatever. She knows who lives over there in East Beleriand. She knows where the land is and she knows who their neighbors would be. So she would be under no illusions about the fact that she's going to have to broker something with the Feanorians when she brings them over. She might, in fact, be worried that Caranthir, in particular, is going to attack the men when they come. That's got to be her one of her she concerns, right? She has to know that the army is too big for that to be a real concern. Because the reaction of the first three waves of men coming through, the Estevillad people didn't exactly get a lot of pushback from the Green Elves yeah. because there were so many of them. Right. And I realized the Green Elves and the Feanorians are different groups. Yeah. But 
this Easterling army is very large. Right. So, but still, I don't think it, Iran fear would be even if it's not a question them. of. I, I, but I don't just mean an assault, right? Like, look, Karanthir yeah. not a good objecting leader. to Karanthir's good at objecting to things. He's good at objecting to things, and he's good at being a jerk, right? I mean, yeah. so even if he's only like a dwarf neighbor level jerk to them, mm-hmm. right? Um, think of his lack of investment in, um, uh, you know, the the Haladin you know, before it was too late, right? Think of his, uh, you know, uh, exploitation and taxation of the dwarves, right? Um, she's got to know it long-term, it's going to be uncomfortable for them if they can't make nice with the Feanorians and with Caranthir from the beginning, right? So she would want to broker... It wouldn't necessarily be... It's not going to be handing over the army. No, it's establishing that relationship. Establishing She's going to be the diplomat. She's going to be the diplomat between the two of right. them. Exactly. Right. And her motivation will be I got to I got to establish good t- I need to make these people allies. Right? Yeah. If there's going to be any future for her plan of bringing them over, settling them there and 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 having, you know, this new uh, strong ally against Morgoth. And then again, this is then cemented by that per- perception of whoa actually, this is, the timing of this is you catastrophic in a way I had no idea of. So now what I meant to be a general, let's get along and live near each other and have that be okay kind of thing, is a no, let's join together and go and march into battle right now kind of right. thing. So she is deliberately establishing the relationship between Bor and Midras yep. as neighbors and allies. Yes. And then once the plan to actually go into action is present she's a supporter of the general idea of well yes i mean i brought the army here to do things like fight morgoth so sounds fine like she's supportive of the idea but didn't hand them over right and of course sauron would think that connecting uldor and karanthir is a great idea Yeah. yeah Karanthir is just such an easy target. I think Aldar could figure that out on his own. <laughs> he doesn't like, need him. I, no. I know. I know. It, yeah. It's like if you yeah. meet the sons of Feanor and you're like, all right, which of these guys do I have to dupe? <laughs> right. Right. Like, good yeah. luck yeah. going up against Mithros. Right. Or, or Kurafin in his own way. Yeah, exactly. Like, these guys will see through you. Yeah. yeah. Karanthir will definitely not see through you. Right. Mm. Right. Uh, Caligorm would be my next choice, except he's always around Kurafin, so... Right. Yeah. That's his protection from that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was Huon, who is no more. <laughs> yes. So yes. that's how Caligorm's story goes downhill. He loses his dog, and it's all downhill. That's all it. That. That's it. Yeah. 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 That is the moral of the story. Um, yeah. Good. <laughs> Good. Okay, so... Um, I'm looking at the your turning point slide here. So we've got... Let's go down and make sure we've answered all the questions. Mithros convincing... Yep. He's got to convince... He's got to get his brothers on board. He can't go over with his brothers. So while Hurin and Fingen are having their meaningful and delicate conversation, um, Mithros and his brothers are having their conversation. Yeah. We had a scene at the very end of yeah. the last season that had a conversation there. I... I believe you requested that we trim it down a bit. 
to have less of that conversation there. So there's at least enough hinting at it at the end of the season. So we'll pick right up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we can start with that. That's easy enough. Um, and then of course, then we've got Fingen with a conviction joined in by 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 Mithros. Um, yeah. Okay. So our Fingen and Hurin planning their own initiative separately. Not initiative, but like there's the, there's a vision. There's the, there's there's a vision, but there isn't a plan, right? And mm-hmm. Mithros's arrival precipitates the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for that for that timing to feel providential to Fingen uh, and Hurin uh, would seem to be exactly the thing. Um, so the support of Cairdin, Brethel, and Dorloman, this would be the council, right? Yeah. At the council that we call, we need Cairdin there, we need, what's his face? I'm forgetting his name. Brethel. Hundir, yeah. Uh, Cairdin, Hundir, um, Hurin, of course, um, and then we'll get Oradreth up, um, we'll get Mablung and or Beleg, probably both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of those, we'll have a, a 60% success rate in convincing them to join in. Um, then the arrival of the Easterlings, then the help of the dwarves, then Gondolin coming out of nowhere. Um, and that pattern, I think, is great. Um, we can talk about the dwarves, but not tonight. Um, that actually is a great thing to talk about next week, perhaps. Um, because next week we are going to turn to more minor characters and storylines. This is the big one, right? This one and the Hurin storylines are the big ones. Um, uh, I didn't list the dwarves, but I could have done, right? So, um, minor characters that we need to make sure we set up their story, we think through their storyline. Gwyndor, because we know how important Gwyndor is going to be um, in the actual Near Nith itself. He has his big moment there. Um, what's going on? What exactly the policy of Doriath is? What, 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 is th- what is Thingol thinking? Right. And we can get that somewhat directly through Mablung and Beleg, and even we can get it kind of indirectly through Círdan. Um, mm. who is always good for a... Um, I can't speak for Thingol, but this is totally what Thingol would probably think about this kind of uh, kind of, kind of statement as well. Um, so anyway, so we do need to think about Doriath. We need to think about the dwarves. What are they doing? How do they, how do they come in? What impact do they have? What does that... Um, what does that change? Um, I have... Um, I have ideas, Nick... I have um I have two words for the involvement of the dwarves in the battle siege equipment <laughs> It's like you've read my mind <laughs> I thought I might be <laughs> Yes um uh I thought it would be good if for the second time in Tolkien battle history someone came to a battle equipped with siege equipment. Um the attack on Minas Tirith is the only one that I know of where that actually happens. It's not just that. He specifically <laughs> says they don't have it. Like yes. he didn't what? just overlook it. Yes. What, what what was the plan? No, so but this is what when we plan the Near Nith Arnoidiad. 
I don't just want it to be a, we have lots of people and we believe we can defeat him on the battlefield kind of, I want to make a plan right. whereby they have a plausible plan for bringing yes. down Thangorodrim. Yes. And the dwarves are going to be a big part of that. I, I think the dwarves should be a huge part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we, do we plan on doing like a, like a, like a full, um, a full session talking through this one like we did for the um, for the Dagger Bargalot? I, yeah, oh yeah. Heck yeah. Um, if we're going to do that, I suggest doing it after the season outline. Oh, so that, for sure. So that we, so we will know, know yeah. how many episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. we have for Absolutely. About. Yeah. So, yes, but later. Yes, yes, but later. I, I, well, I didn't mean tomorrow. <laughs> yes. I'm just letting, us, letting everyone know. No, yeah. that not does sound pretty great. Yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. So no, no, no. I, I, I actually, um, I feel like the Nirnaith Ornidiad is the most important battle in the entire First Age to have a really clear tactical plan for. Yeah. Even if less than one-third of the plan is going to play out. Yeah. We still had to have had a yeah. plan. <laughs> it's a big part of how we convince our audience that they're totally going to win. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, especially if it um, sort of falls into traditional film and TV conventions of, like, the good guys come up with a wacky and implausible plan, which you know, pans out, uh, and everything like that's a, that, that's a, that's a trope. That's a thing, right? The, 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 the underdogs win because of dumb luck and all right. That kind of well, thing. A combination of dumb luck and their, their, their cunning plan. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So yeah, hundred percent, Nick, I'm, I'm all in on the tactical planning, uh, of the near night or no idiot. Um, and, but of course we also have to check in on the villains and by the villain, we've talked about Sauron, I mean, Morgoth. Where is Morgoth in his headspace right now, exactly? Like, where is he on his trajectory? Um, he becomes, un until Hurin meets him, uh, he becomes such a, a, a sort of an absentee figure, um, even within our story, that we, I think we need to keep checking in with him on how exactly his... I mean, we saw him last season, right, um, when Baron and Luthien came to visit, so... Um, the last two times we saw him didn't go great for him. No. Because no. we saw him fighting Fingolfin. Yeah. And limping. And, and we, we saw him limping, Luthien then we saw him, him actually out. fall over. <laughs> yeah, then Luthien knocked him out. So yeah, yeah. like he's... He's uh, not been putting on a strong appearance lately. He's not. And what's he thinking right now? Right. What's his attitude? What's his perspective? Where, where Where is he on his, you know, path towards the void? Um, but also Glaurung. We, we, need, we, need, we need to check in with him and establish it, figure out exactly where he is and what, what he's doing. Um, it does not do to ignore live dragons in your plans. <laughs> it certainly does not. And so we should not make that mistake. Uh, and then Gothmog. Gothmog is now living, uh, he's now enjoying the post-Sauron life for the first time um, in a long time, right? So how's that going for him? You know, um, what's that life like? These are, these are some of the questions we're going to need to answer about the, about the villains, especially that's it. We don't have any more villains left. <laughs> Just Bulldog. Yeah, Bulldog, Bulldog, Bulldog is still around. That's right. We yeah. didn't kill off. Who was going to kill off Bulldog? 
Um, in one version of the Baron Luthien story, Thingol we, kills right. him in no, a battle I remember that. that we didn't have happen. But I thought we so, had a plan. Didn't we have a plan? Hurin. Hurin? That was, that was uh, my suggestion, so that okay. I gave him something big to actually accomplish yeah. before he gets taken down. Like, sure, he kills hordes and hordes of orcs. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But that's the, that's the same as just losing. In, right. In, Right, that's losing with right. style. So but, yeah. the point is, we have Bulldog available to be killed in the internet. To be killed, yeah. And therefore we can work him into that plan. You know. The, the battle plan versus the actual battle that we need to plan. Right, right. <laughs> like, we need to plan both. Yeah. The hypothetical and the reality. <laughs> right. So, given that we... So, we have Sauron in a, on a field of his own at this point. Um, other than Sauron, we have Morgoth, who's not going to make an appearance... Uh, Glaurung, who is going to come into his glory after this, Bulldog and Gothmog, those are only villains left. Right? Um, yes. So Sauron's posse is dead. Right. Ending the battle with Morgoth still absentee, Gothmog injured, mm-hmm. uh, Bulldog dead, and only Glaurung still... And uh, you know, Glaurung injured also. Right. Yeah, Glaren gets injured in the battle. Um, so, yeah. Basically, we can show that how close they came to winning. I mean, th- that that's a that, that 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 that's another thing that we can that we can do there. Anyway, okay, right. So so those are the things that we can talk about next time. Um, well, and we may not. We've got two more, probably two more sessions in which we yeah, discuss. I, I don't know how this. long all the little side topics right. will take to talk through, but I assume it's going to be more than one session. Right. One to two, and then after that we do outline, and yes. then after that we do battle planning. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. And then we can start seasons. We, we would you guys be okay with the, as far as thinking about script outline planning and things like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we'll totally get started on that. Totally. <laughs> no problem. Plenty of time. Yeah. Plenty of time. Well, you you got to figure we've got at least one to two, and then the outline, and then the battle. Which so I mean, there's and then we have other things to discuss. Like if you want to do a commissioning session with music with Phil, um, right. or thinking about script or thinking sorry thinking about casting. Um, yeah, or um, any particular challenges you think are going to be in the season that we should discuss in detail, like. Obviously, in the last season, we had to deal with magic. Yes. And the yes. portrayal of magic, because the Luthien storyline is full of magic. Yes. <laughs> um, Mu- so so much more one, so than any other storyline, but yes. Yeah. yeah, so for this one, communication and travel is a partial one, which we discussed tonight, but if there's any other particular challenges you want to um, Yeah, maybe we should sit down with the telepathy issue and really right. kind of hash out some of the parameters there. Right. Who can do it? What can you do with it? Does it have a range? You know. More like under what circumstances can you and that under too. what circumstances can you yeah, not? Sure. Because like I was joking saying that Fingolfin could be sending messages to Fingon while he's dying. But right. I don't think he can be open to Asanwe Kenta while he's face to face with Morgoth. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure he has to have himself mentally shut down for that to be happening. Right. And therefore, he can't be having, like, a secret telepathic conversation on the side, I think. Right. I'd have to go 
and read up on it again. But exactly. I, I know there are some limitations like that. Yeah, a session in which we discuss Asan Wakenta and the Tolkien's writings actually on Elvish telepathy would be a good thing to do as well, to remind yeah. people yeah. the parameters there. Yeah, our best character remaining who can do it is, of course, Galadriel. I mean, yes. Sauron's good at it, but the um, oh, for the Elven characters, it's Galadriel. We had Finrod have that ability yeah. as well, but yeah. he's gone now. He's gone now. Um, yep. Okay. So anyway, so this this in general, in whom it's going to manifest, and what kind of restrictions we want to place on it for story reasons. Um, yeah. That would be a that would be that would I, that that's the one that occurs to me, not because it's necessarily essential, but because it's it's beginning to become an issue. If if that's a real possibility, like if somebody if if Galadriel from Eriador can just be like, "Hey, Fingen, uh, uh, news for you, right? I'm coming over the mountains with a big old army." That's a game changer from a narrative perspective, right? Right, and we should know whether or not that can happen. Yes. And if we do it once, what are the implications moving right. forward? Because exactly. Galadriel will be around for the rest of our story. So, And we, and I want to make the decision now because the, it's, it's pretty bad to have a moment where you invoke that and then you don't invoke it afterwards. Right. Um, Even worse <laughs> to not use it. And then just randomly have a character be like, Oh, you know what? I always wanted to talk to someone. <laughs> right. Exactly. And have people saying, why didn't you do that before? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so now that we definitely have this kind of situation and this season really is the first season where we're trying to coordinate long distances over a politically awkward Balerian. Um, so we might as well, we might as well hash that out, uh, now. So, and even characters like Fingen and Mytheros who are friends and trying to work together on this plan from different locations, Yes, we're going to have those two in-person meetings for mm-hmm. sure, but are we going to have what them is chat yeah. the way that right. Elrond and Galadriel did in Lord of the Rings films? Right. Be like, hi, I'm here in Rivendell. Hi, I'm here in Lothlorien. Let's just chat about this. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, having them, you know, sending telepathic emojis back and forth. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. It, it, how much of that do we get? Okay, agreed. Okay. All right, so that is what is going to happen next. And next, very next, shall be uh, two weeks from today on Thursday, January 18th at our normal time. Um, uh, that will nicely, that will should mean that we can do the two weeks after that, which would be February 1st, right? I believe is the two weeks mm-hmm. after January 18th. Um, it sounds, sounds likely. Which yes, it is. should be after I am both home from Australia and have slept after returning home from Australia. So um, that should be good. Um, okay. Very good. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for a fun discussion. I always, you know, since we only do some film broadcasts every other week, and therefore when things happen like they did in the holidays, um, you know, it's pretty unusual for my other broadcasts for me to go like five or six weeks in between. But that happens sometimes with some as it did this time. So it's always it, I'm I'm it is such a delight returning to it again when it's been, you know, uh, when we get a, a time like this, when it's been set aside for so long. So thank you, guys. This was so much fun today. Really excited to get back into this uh, into this discussion and continue moving forward with season seven. So. Thank you, you two. Thanks, everybody, for your wonderful suggestions today. And um, 
we it's will. It's always a pleasure talking about Ben, are you? <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's, this is, uh, I know season seven for this reason, like, is I know I, one you've been looking forward to for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone else is like, ooh, Ben and Lucy. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's wonderful. But have you considered? <laughs> have you considered? Yes. <laughs> Focusing on the Feanorians a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, We will see you guys again soon, and I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.